Welcome to Halakha Hour here on J-Root Radio on Wednesday afternoons live at 2 o'clock. Of course, with our customary Sfaradi timing, it's 2.05 right now. We are beginning now the Halakha Hour, where today, Bazat Hashem, we'll be talking about an interesting subject. We'll begin with the Minhagim of Sfirat Omer. Even though we have a little bit of short time left, but we'll be given this Minhagim of Omer and jump to the subject of Kema Hashem. First, we'd like to say we're dedicating this class to Iran and Jacob and BSD Productions, as well as the whole JRU Radio staff. This is in their honor. Um, I believe it's already, we're up to year three, Baruch Hashem. We've completed two full years here with the JRU Radio, and we owe them a lot of Hakarata Tov personally, and I believe all of us who are listening once, twice, all the time that we always listen to them, and we just like to express our gratitude and tell them that we appreciate their Avodat Kodesh, and they should be Barzat Hashem Zochel, and it's good to have Torah with Adirah Barzat Hashem. Today, usually, let's just we all have to give you the numbers and the background usually before we begin. So let's begin first of all the numbers to the studio 718-683-5858. Remember, if you're calling, you'll be on live. I don't know if I'll pick up the phone calls or not, but in case you call between two to three o'clock, that means you will be on air. If you'd like to ask questions off the air, then call, please call in 718-683-5858, the same number, but call after three. Bazaar the shame will try to stick around a little bit to answer any questions off the air. To text in your questions, which is like we say every week, it's the best idea. We hear it's katuv umforash, it's written down over here, we won't lose it, and this way we'll be able to answer you in case we uh, in case we get to it, or if we will try to get to it. The text line is 347-927-8398. This is how you could be interactive with the show, with the class. In order for a person to listen, then there's a different um, way to listen. You have different ways, that is, jrootradio.com, the website, and you could also download it, or if you have it on your phone, Jroot Radio Pro app, and you could also watch us on jrootradio.com live. To listen in through the phone, it's 712-432-4217 or 718-506-9099. With our regular introduction, we'll come back now to our class at hand. In the weeks between Pesach and Shavuot, we've dedicated these weeks to discuss all the different halachot that pertain to these weeks. We spoke about different subjects last week. We spoke about the halachot of how and when to count the Omer with all the different scenarios that come up. We will be speaking about Bezat Hashem now about the minhagim of the Omer, or as they call them, the minhagim on the sphira. Some are familiar, some are not familiar. Begin with that before we jump to the subject of Kiyam Hayashan. Let's begin. In these days between Pesach and Shavuot, the Gemara tells us in Masechet Yevamot that the great Tanar, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva, which all the Mishnayot, Rabbi Udan Nasi, who was born actually on the day that Rabbi Akiva passed away, all the Mishnayot, Rabbi Udan Nasi, tried to model it after the teachings of Rabbi Akiva. The Gemara tells us Rabbi Akiva had 24,000 students. As the Gemara points out elsewhere, it was really 12,000 students pairs of students, that means 12,000 sets of Habrutot, and all these students died, they passed away f- between the days of Pesach until Pros Atzeret. Pesach until Pros Atzeret. That's what the Gemara says. What does it mean, Pros Atzeret? Literally, Pros means halfway. We'll see what that means in a second. 
tragic. It was a big tragedy. I don't personally, I don't believe that it took place all in, in one year. The Gemara doesn't say that it took place in one year. I didn't see any commentaries that said that it took place in one year. Perhaps these 24,000 students died throughout the years, but the time that they died was in between Pesach and Shavuot. In any case, it was a big tragedy. Can you imagine? Here was the greatest rabbi of the generation with, with all these thousands of students. You know, the biggest yeshiva today is around, I don't know, six, 8,000 people. That's not even a quarter of these of the students of Riyakiva and who were all greatest of the greatest of the Jewish people in those times. That means they were Tanaim and they passed away. It was horrible. It was, it was something really, really tragic. And the Gemara tells us, They were not respectful to each other. Whatever that means, again, many, many different explanations. Obviously, it was on their level. It was a very, very, they were, they were expected to be on a very high level and they didn't live up to it. Darizal explains that maybe the sin was not so, so bad, their sin. But he explains that in this time between Pesach and Shavuot is a time that you'll notice is when everything starts to grow. Everything starts to grow. You'll look at the trees, they're starting to blossom. That's why we say Bechat usually this time. You'll look at the produce in the fields, everything starts to grow this season. Well, even if it grows different times of the year, the time of the year where things grow the most is at this time. And as a rule, when things grow, it means it's a sign of blessing. And the rule is like this. Whenever there's a sign of blessing, there is also judgment. The judgment is there to see if we deserve that blessing. So being that everything, there's blessing in the world, everything is starting to grow, this signifies that there's also judgment. It's Yemet Din. We're being judged. And therefore, everybody has to be on special, special guard. Everybody has to take extra care that he should be on his best behavior. Says the Arizal, the reason why Midat Din was able to get the students of Biakiva, even though they're holy people, they had obviously so many Zikuyot that perhaps if we combine all of our Zikuyot in our days, we can't, you know, compare to even one person. Still, they were caught in the day, they were caught even on small little things because it's Yame Din. Why? Because it's a time of growth, and time of growth means there's blessing in the world, and we are have to be we are, we're gonna be persecuted if we are not so so careful with in those days. So because of that, this event that took place in Jewish history has ramifications in our days today in Halakha. The Hakamim have or Really, it's not the hakmi; it's a minhag. If it's, it would have been hakamim, that means it would have been really a gezerah de rabbanan, but it's not. It's actually a custom that the Jewish people have accepted. The Jewish people have accepted everywhere the customs that are known as the minhagim of Sfirat Omer. The two that are spoken about in Shulchan Aruch are, is that we don't make weddings in these days. We don't make weddings. We don't make uh, engagements with music in these days. Also, because really, you know, our engagements today pretty much were like a wedding back then, you know. And also what's brought down halakha is that no haircuts and shaving. These are minhage abelut, customs of mourning. Like if you see a mo- who goes through stages when somebody, one of his relatives passed away, the stages are seven, the first seven days, then the first 30 days, and then the first year. You'll notice that the minhagim of the Omer are what every mourner goes through for the first 30 days. 
between the Shiva and the Shloshim. The mourner cannot shave. We also don't shave. Mourner cannot take haircuts. We don't take haircuts. A mourner cannot attend parties, even for a sibling in that first month. Also, we don't make parties in this, in this time. That is a national ramification of what took place uh, many years ago from the students of Rabbi Akiva. Now the question is, when is exactly the time? Because the Torah, the Gemara says, from Pesach until Pros Atzeret. And that means the Gemara is not really explaining to me, telling me exactly what the time is. We know they started dying from Pesach. I mean to say after Pesach. Or excuse me, from the beginning of Pesach. But until when? So for this, we have a big mahalokit. We have actually two sets of mahalokit. The first mahalokit is between the Shohan Aruch and Jaruch, which is followed by the Sefaradim, and the Ramah is followed by the Ashkenazim. Prosaset means half of a month. Half of a month is usually 15 days. So if it's a half way through till, till Shabbat, half a month until Shabbat, it should be 15 days before Shabbat. Plus you have to, now that's, plus you take away the three days of Shloshet Yimei HaGvalah. So it comes, excuse me, you take away half a month, which is 15 days from 49 days, that comes out to the total of 34 days. According to Shohan Aruch, they passed away for 30, they, they died within a period of 34 days. So therefore, we mourn for 33 days, and on the 34th day, we apply the usual rule, which we apply by Avelut, You ever notice when people sit Shiva, it's not really actually seven days, they get up on the seventh day, because... Once they sat part of the day, which happens in the morning until they pray shahrit, then already it's considered like they sat the whole day. That's the rule called miksat hayom kechulo. On the 34th day, which is the final day when the students of Rabbi Akiva passed away, we get up. We complete our period of mourning. And that's why Sfaradi, who wants to take a haircut or technically shave, you have until... You have to wait until the day after Lag Baumir. Not on Lag Baumir, but the day after Lag Baumir. However, the Ashkenazim hold, or the Ramah really, which the Ashkenazim follow, that really, the you're right, people did die also on the 34th day, but really, mainly they died until the 33rd day. And Rabbi Shimon Bayahai, who happened to be of the new students, he also passed away then, and there's reason to celebrate on Lag Baumir, which everybody agrees to. So, therefore... The 33rd day is really the final day where the majority of the students died. And although some did also die on the 34th, but it's not important enough to make it a day of mourning. And the 33rd day, we consider that, according to the Ashkenazim, once the 33rd day comes in the morning, after that, we say that they could go ahead and take haircuts and shave. This is not only the minhag of the Ashkenazim. There are some Sephardic... Uh, um, groups that also that they also have such a minhag. I believe the Egyptians, the Egyptians as well, also follow this minhag of the Ashkenazim. Now on the thirty-third day, <coughs> on Lagba Omer, after praying Shahrit, they already could take haircuts and they could shave. And parties anywhere are beginning on Lag Baumir because Lag Baumir in itself, we'll speak about it next week, is a reason to celebrate. So already parties could begin then anywhere. But really, Maikaradin, the Sfaradi is supposed to push over, not make the celebration right away. He's supposed to make the th- celebrations on Lamed Dalet Baumir. There's yet another Mahloki that's brought down in Halakhat. Sfaradin do not follow this at all. Some Ashkenazim follow this Minhag. What is a Minhag? 
Some explain that when the Gemara says that they died between Pesach and Shavuot, and remember it says Peros, there's 15, there are 15 days when the students of Yaakiva did not die. These 15 days didn't take place right away. They, this actually happened to be, they were fif- from the 49 days, or 15 days where they did not die. Which are they? Well, you have, first of all, seven days of Pesach. Any times, basically, that we don't say Tahanun, where we say, basically, the seven days of Pesach, six Shabbatot, two days of Rosh Chodesh Iyar, one day of Rosh Chodesh Sivan, that totals up to, what? That totals up to the days when they didn't pass away. Minus that for 49 days, you come to 33 days. So therefore, they hold that really as long as you mourn for 33 days from the beginning of Pesach, from, yeah, right after Pesach, the second day of Pesach until Shavuot, that's good enough. So therefore, they begin really from Rosh Chodesh Iyar. They could shave, they start shaving from Rosh Chodesh they, they, excuse me, they stop shaving from Rosh Chodesh Iyar, but they go all the way until Shavuot. Now, although they don't really stop by Shabbat because they hold that three days before Shabbat began what, what the Torah describes as Shloshet Yomei HaGbalah when the Jews prepared themselves for the accepting of the Torah. So they will wait until three days before Shabbat until they take haircuts or whatever they have to do. There's a humrah in this. Is that although we're all taking haircuts and parties are beginning for us from Lagba Omer onwards, they will celebrate on Lagba Omer. Some of them will even take haircuts on Lagba Omer itself. But after Lagba Omer, they resume their mourning period until three days before Shavuot. Halakha brings down, as all as Maram Shaharuk says, it is forbidden for a person to follow the leniencies of both customs. You have to have one of the customs. Sfaradim, like I said, usually don't follow the second custom at all. Sfaradim will go until the 34th day, some till the 33rd day, till like Ba'omer, and they will not take haircuts, they will not make parties until the 34th day. Ashkenazim will do it till the 33rd day, but those who want to do from Rosh Chodesh Iyar until three days before Shavuot cannot do both, cannot shave and make parties until Rosh Chodesh Iyar, and then again, after like Ba'omer, Take the other leniency and say from Lagbaumer and onwards, I could also be lenient and make parties and shave and take haircuts then. No, you have to choose one custom. These are basically the different customs al halakha. However, the Arizal, like we said above, says that these days between Pesach and Shavuot are days of judgment, days of deen, and therefore he holds that haircuts, forget the parties, the semahot, I agree, you want to mourn the students of Rabbi Akiva, you're right, up to the 34th day if you're Sfaradi, and 33rd day if you're Ashkenazi. But as far as shaving and haircutting, the Ariza holds them, nobody should take a haircut from Pesach until Shabuot. Not even the three days before, even in areas where the Halakha permitted haircuts, Lemashal, if a person is an Abi Habin, he had a baby boy. And now the bris, the brit milah, is taking place in the middle of the days of the Omer. According to the Arizal, you can take a haircut. You're getting married, you can take a Excuse me, not the Arizal. According to Halakha, you can take a haircut. According to Halakha, if it's your wedding day, of course you can take a haircut. However, if it's like the Omer, of course Halakha permits haircuts. According to Arizal, no. You have no excuse. Not no excuse. If you want to do the custom that is out, no haircuts whatsoever. It's man of deen. The hair cannot be cut until mamash erev Shavuot, the day before Shavuot. That's the minhag of the Arizal, which a lot of mikubalim follow, a lot of mikubalim bring down. 
those who want to be mekubal, always we, we say the rule is, we, f- we have to follow what the halakha says. If a person now wants to be, to wa- if a person wants to f- be stringent, be mahmid, follow mekubalim, hazak baruch, why not? If you could do it, fantastical. But it doesn't obligate us. So that's a minhag of the Arizan. The only thing is, Arizan never mentioned anything about shaving. He only spoke about haircutting. What about shaving? The shaving also, do I have to wait also until all the way, until Shabu'ot, that I shouldn't shave? So, because Arizan, Arizan never spoke about it, because according to Arizan, in general, he never allowed to shave. He thought he never allowed to shave. So therefore, Hakam Bitsun comes and he says, Hidush. And he says that, really, Arizan only meant haircutting. If, but if you, cut, if you normally trim your beard or shave your beard, so that Arizan doesn't apply to you because you are not in the uh it's it's not applicable to you you anyway don't follow the reason throughout the year you trim your beard the reason didn't never spoke about the beard that's what's brought down by Hakan ben Tzion. however i have to tell you is that i've seen many sfaradim i'm talking about gedolim rabbis who follow the arizal yet i never saw them trim their beard either by like Ma'umir. And we talk about Gedolim or rabbis that do usually trim their beards. They'll wait until Arif Shabbat. But the Hakam Mitzion says what he says. You can't take it away. And it's also mistabir the way he explains it. So those who want to be, who want to follow the Minhag of the Arizal, not take a haircut to Arif Shabbat and want to trim their beard, it's not a contradiction whatsoever. Now, there are other Minhagim that are brought down by the Ahronim. Shohan Aruch only brings the issue with haircuts and weddings. However, Haranim bring other issues. For example, no dancing. Even though without music we're talking about. Just, uh, you know, regular dancing. No, you cannot do that. No music also, not, not listening to music. And Rabbi Haim Palachi, although a lot of Haranim disagree, the Kafahim disagrees with this, but Rabbi Haim Palachi also says, you should not make the blessing of Shahiyanu in the days of the Omer. A lot of people mix up the days of Sfirata Omer with the day, the three weeks between Shabbat Sabbat Tammuz and Tishabi'ab. These are not the same, Rabbutai. There's a lot of, we're much more stringent over there because of the Huban Beit HaMikdash. Over here, it's a custom over there. It's a deen, Min gemara Some of them are Min hagim, but a lot of them are Dini Min gemara So therefore, some of the leniencies that people mix up are as follows. First of all, if a person wants to make an engagement without any music, what they call the meaning of the family or the Lachayim, as long as it's without any music or dancing, even the days of Sfirat Omer, it's Mutar. Dating, for sure it's mutar, especially a person has to get married, especially if he's never got married beforehand. And even those who were married previously, it's still a mitzvah. It's, it's uh, close to na'avira, if not, it's na'avira to remain single. Also, buying new clothing really is not a problem. Even if you want to be stringent like Rabhaim Palachi and not make shahiyanu, so then although buying clothing, it's mutar even without a sale. So don't make shahiyanu, don't wear it that you have to make a shahiyanu or buy clothing. That's not obligated in the bracha of Shahiyanu. Haircuts, we mentioned already, is Asur. But the question comes up, what about haircuts for women? If a woman wants to cut her hair, what is the deen? So remember what we said in the beginning, that the minhagim in Sfirat Omer are minhagi avelut. So we have to revert back to the laws of avelut. What is the deen when it comes to haircuts? If a person is a mourner in the Shloshim, the Sfaradim hold that after seven days, a woman can take a haircut. Men are forbidden haircuts and shaving until the Shloshim are over. However, women do take a haircuts. So therefore, Sfirat Omer, which is only Minhag, the Minhag in these days of the Omer, it's only a custom. 
It's not going to be more stringent according to us, Sfaradim. Women can take haircuts in these days. No problem. However, the Ashkenazim hold that women don't take haircuts in the Shloshim when it comes to Avelut in morning, in the real morning period. In Sfirat Aumen, the Grot Moshe, the Moshe Feinstein writes that the Menhag is not to. Menhag is that women do not take haircuts, Ashkenazi women do not take haircuts in the days of the Aumen. However, if it's really necessary, there is definitely room to be lenient. And now we come to children. What about the children? Again, we come back to the Shohan Aruch or to the Halakha when it comes to children in the Shloshim. The only people Hayab in Avelut, in Minhage Avelut or Avelut, even when a person passes away, are people who are above the age of Bar Mitzvah. Not Ketanim, not children under the age of Bar Mitzvah. But usually we tell you a Mitzvah is an obligation on adults and for children we obligate them because we train them. We don't train children in Avelut. We don't want that the person should be repeating Avelut, right? So that's not something that we mechanech our children with. If a child is becomes an Avel, since he's under the age of Bar Mitzvah, the laws of Avelut don't apply to him. Some things will do just so because it doesn't look nice or to you know, stir up some feelings about the person who passed away, but not because it's an obligation. So therefore, for the Svaradim, again, we go straight, the Halakha says that for Svaradim, children under the age of Mitzvah, they could take haircuts during any time in Svaradim. They don't have to wait till like Bomber. So that if a kid really wants to take a haircut, they could take a haircut. That's Ma'ikar Adin. Ashkenazim, however, hold that the Minhag is not to. Just like adults don't take haircuts in Omer, they also don't take haircuts in the days of Sfirat, uh, excuse me, yeah, also the children don't take haircuts also in Sfirat Omer. And if you look around really, you'll notice that although my Karadin, according to Sfaradim, children could take haircuts, most people who are keeping Omer will apply it also to their children and they won't let them take haircuts either. But really in upsharing, which is when a kid turns three, according to Oshitot, there's absolutely no problem with a child who turns three and you want to cut his hair. There's no problem even if a Jewish person is cutting his hair. It's not a problem to be done during these days of Sfirat I'm talking about even before Lag Ba'omer. This, in short, is the are the halachot or really the minhagim that are done during the Omer. And if anybody has a question, you could... Text in, you can call in to the station right now, we'll take the questions. If not, we will move on, you can call in later on, like we said, at 3 o'clock. We are now going to move on to our next subject, which is a big subject. I really hope we get through the main parts of this very, very important uh, discussion, which is Kemah Yashan, Marzat Hashem, before the end of this class. Kemah Yashan. I want to begin this class with a story that happened to me personally. It was right after my first, born, my first son was born. And I was, you know, my wife gave birth in Maimonides. And on my way back from the hospital, I was in Bora Park. You know, we all know Maimonides is in Bora Park. So I decided, you know what, it's Motei Shabbat. Let me pick up some pizza and I'll drive back home. Now, it was at the time, it was in the days of uh, Selihot in Elul. And I pulled over the car in front of a pizza shop and I walk in. Nobody was in the pizza shop. I look behind the counter, nobody's there. There's one person sitting by the, you know, by one of the tables in the restaurant. And I turn to him, I say, excuse me, do you know, where's the mashgiach? So the guy answers me with an Israeli accent. So I started talking to him in Hebrew. So I asked him, you could ask me. 
I'm just going to turn the conversation back to English to translate. So I told him, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. He said, is your pizza kemah yashan? So he tells me, mapitom. What are you talking about? Everything is fresh. I said, okay. I realized, okay, maybe he misunderstood me. Now I said, no, no, no. I, I'm sure your pizza is fresh. Now I just want to know. The kemah, the flour. Now I'm talking to him in Hebrew. Kemah shilcha. Zayashan or hadash? What are you talking about? It's old. It's all fresh. Everything we have here is fresh. I said, no, no, you misunderstand me. Don't, you know, in halakha, there's something for the doughs, anything that's baked has to be kemah yashan. Is your pizza kemah yashan? She says, no, everything is fresh. So I said, okay, you know what? Thank you very much. Have a good week. And I started walking out of the store. He's like, where are you going? Where are you going? I, I'm telling you, I promise you, everything is fresh. So now, you know what? It's okay. I realized clearly that this guy has no clue what he's talking about. Kim Hayashan is, he, the guy's clueless. He, does, he never heard of Kim Hayashan. So I get back into the car. There are a few people with me in the car. He says, hey, where's the pizza? We're hungry. So I said, no, nah, it's not Kim Hayashan. I can't buy from here. Right before I drove away, I looked up to see the name of the store. And guess what? I see a big sign with the name of the pizza store that says, Pizza, fries, falafel, and halabi sa'il. And guess what? On the sign it says, Kemah Yashan. You know, I realized, wow. Okay, I don't know what to tell you. The sign seems to know more than this person in the store who's supposed to be the mashgiah. I don't know. Definitely, I'm not going to take the sign. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to eat it. If the mashgiah himself doesn't know what Kemah Yashan is, how do you know what he's checking for? So therefore... It's been always on my mind to always speak about the subject of Kemah Yashan in full detail. What is it? What are we talking about? What in the world is this Kemah Yashan? Why are people putting it up? How stringent is it? And if it's really so stringent, why are people not following the Salakha? And why? how come, more importantly, how can Hashgahot, if something is not kosher, how can Hashgaha write Kashir on it and sell it to everybody? What in the world is going on over here? So, let me tell you. To give this class has its pros and cons. The pros are obviously, we want people to be educated. We want to create some awareness. And let me tell you a big secret in Kashrut. You know how Kashrut works? You know how the standards of Kashrut are elevated? It's by you, the customer, not by me, the rabbi, speaking about it. By you, the customer, demanding it. Then the store owners will ask the vendors. The vendors will make sure you have it. That's the only way it happens. If you don't demand it, then it doesn't make a difference how much speeches rabbis give, how much they speak about it, how much the owners will learn about it. At the end of the day, everybody, nobody's opening up a restaurant in, you know, for chesed. They don't want to feed you because you're hungry. They're opening up a restaurant to make money. And whoever's buying, they're happy. If nobody cares about any certain standard of a cash route, so why would the store owners spend more money to get to put himself on that higher standard. Do you see McDonald's getting a hechsher? No, only in Israel where they want to attract the customers there which are kosher. That's the way it works. If you don't demand, if you walk into a store and you demand something from Kashrut, let's say here, Kemah Yashan, you say, excuse me, is this Yashan? And the store owner who is, let's say, an honest person will tell you, I, I, I don't know, I'm not sure, it's not. You say, okay, I, I can't buy it. Guess what's going to happen? Next time you walk by, so he's going to tell you, whoa, 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 hold on, I got this item for you, it's Kemah Yashan. And if it's done by two, three people, ten people, then they'll have it. I remember when I started keeping Yashan, it was very hard to find. And now, Baruch Hashem, it's much more common. Could there be games? Of course there could be games, but it's much more available 
because of the awareness, because people are demanding it. And that's the rule in Kashrut. Ask anybody who's in Kashrut, they'll tell you that's the rule. If the customers demand it, you, the listeners, are demanding it, you will have it. We make sure you'll have it. And it doesn't have to be, by the way, oh, so many people. As long as even a few group of people, you'll get it. It goes, it's like a vote. You know, when they see you voting for a certain thing, they'll make sure you have what you like. So that's the advantage of giving such a class. The disadvantage is that I'm scared of two things. Number one is, sometimes if you lay out everything on a table and everybody sees that, you know, when it's a real, you know, let's say something is really problematic and people are doing it and they see it's, that's Asur and they continue to do the Asur, so then they will be judged on a higher level. I mean to say that they're on a stricter level. Up till now, they were doing the Avira. They were not aware of the Avira. They were Shogegin. They did it by mistake. They didn't, weren't sure. Well, although it's therefore they didn't learn. True, but they're still doing Avira, but Shogegin. Now that they know, and they're still going ahead and doing Navira, so become Mezidin. So therefore, you see a lot of the poskim will say, be careful how you say it, who you say it to, because then if people still are not going to listen to you, they're going to go ahead and do Navira anyway, and now you made them do Navira on a higher level. That's one thing I'm worried about. The other thing is I'm worried that people will misuse the information here because I will bring a lot of different information. I'm worried that people who have listened to this class will take parts, bits and pieces of the class and to a person who hasn't listened to the full class, they'll present it in a way that either they're keeping the halakha or that they find kulot. So listen, at the end of the day, I decided to give the class anyway. I saw Ham in the Teshuvot, in Yabiyah Omer, he writes, you know, one time there was a certain thing that people were not keeping. It was a minhag, but it was a wrong minhag. And he taught it in public and he kept on speaking about it, speaking about it, speaking about it. And Baruch Hashem, he says, many years later already, his words took fruit and people already are starting to keep this thing. And Baruch Hashem, they've hired their standards of observance. And that's what we say also over here. Bezat Hashem, we hope, we're trying to do this L'Shem Shamayim, we hope that people should learn from this, and that people should take these words, and, you know, improve themselves. In Kashrut, improve themselves, especially in this area of Kem Hayashan, as we'll see, is something that is Mamash Min Torah, as we'll begin right now. Let's go straight to the class at hand. Torah and Parashat Emor says the following, the Parsuk says, Hashem is telling Moshe, go tell the Jewish people and tell them. When you come into Eretz Israel, that I'm giving to you, you have to harvest all the produce. And whatever you harvest first, you pile it up and you bring it to the Kohen. This is known as Koban Omer, which is when we count the Omer and we say, Hey, yo, Asrim Yom La Omer. It's 20 days since we brought the Koban Omer. What's this Koban Omer? It's the first harvest of the year. Has to be brought to the Bet HaMikdash. The Torah, a few Pesukim down, the Torah says, However, All types of bread, Kali is, even if the grains are dried in the sun, caramel, or if they are um, roasted in, the, in an oven, although not fully, you're not allowed to eat it until that day that you have to bring the Omer. Until you bring the offering 
that your God commanded you. This is a law. This is a rule for all your generations. Wherever you live. Clearly the Torah says over here that you have to bring a korban. And so long as you don't bring the korban, you cannot eat whatever you cannot eat, which we'll talk about soon, until you bring that korban and the Torah says, This is not a one-time thing. This is not only when you enter Eretz Israel. This is forever. And here the Torah concludes, Wherever you live. Like it says in the Torah, Do not put on the fire wherever you live on Yom Shabbat. This doesn't mean that you don't put on the fire only in Eretz Israel on Shabbat. Even outside of Esau, you're not allowed to put on the fire on Yom Shabbat. Okay, that is the Pesukim. You should just know, to clarify what's going on over here, the Halakha says that the Torah is talking about over here only things that you can make bread out of it, which, which the Torah describes as bread, which are the five types of grain where if it's baked with flour, if the ingredients are flour and water and then baked, would make it create a hamotzi. What are these five grains? In English, they're translated as wheat, barley, oats, rye, and spelt. These five grains, the Torah tells us over here, that can, they cannot be in until you bring a korban. What does that mean? We don't have a korban today. We don't have a korban today. You tell me I can never eat it? And also, when is this korban brought? An answer to the question is as follows. This is the way it works. Anything... Well, let's start like this. The Korban is brought on the second day of Pesach, which means on Ted Zayn Nisan. Anything that took root from the year beforehand, from before, mean to say, before Ted Zayn Nisan already was planted and it took root already, then that makes it last year's produce. When Ted Zayn Nisan comes, when we had a Beit HaMikdash and we offered the Korban, then... All the produce that were took, took root already from before Tedzayin Nisan, those become permitted. However, if you started planting something from these five grains after Tedzayin Nisan, or even if you planted it before Tedzayin Nisan, but didn't take root yet, Kota Halakha takes about two weeks for something, for a seed to take root. So let's say you planted it out of Pesach, and it didn't take root until after Pesach, which usually doesn't. So then, even though... It grew after a month. doesn't make a difference. That produce becomes next year's stuff and it's forbidden to eat until the next Tedzainis, until the next Pesach comes and we bring the Korban. This is in the times of Beit HaMikdash. So again, let's review just very quickly. Any produce of last year becomes permitted once Pesach, the second day of Pesach comes because we brought the Korban. Anything that of the next year anything that has been planted or taken root, really, after Pesach, or after the second day of Pesach, is considered the produce of the following year, and thus the name Hadash and Yashan. Yashan is produce from last year. Hadash is anything from this year. Last year's stuff become mutar on the second day of Pesach. Even though today we don't have a Beit HaMikdash, still, because we don't have Beit HaMikdash, we don't have... You don't have to actually bring the korban to make a mutar. You just have to wait that full day in Eretz Israel. Outside Eretz Israel, because you have to wait until the first day of Holomoid. So, let's quote to you the Rambam. 
he says and who summarizes everything in short ahadash ketad kol ehad mahamsha min tabua bil bad asul khol min hadash lo kodem shikra ba'ome betet zayin benisan all the produce from the five grains only that we listed you cannot eat from the new pro- from the new crops until the omer was brought on tzayin nisan vechol ha'ochel kezayit hadash kodem hakrabat haomer and if you do eat it beforehand lokem ben hatorah you get lashes from the torah ela shebizman sheish hamikdash mishikra ba'omer hutar hadash berushalayim the only difference is that when in the times we had the Beit HaMikdash and the Kuban was offered on the 16th of Nisan, everything becomes mutar immediately if you live in Yerushalayim and you knew that the Kuban took already was brought. And if you lived further from Yerushalayim, away from Yerushalayim, you had to wait until middle of the day for you to eat the produce that took root before the 16th of Nisan. However, in our days, the whole day becomes Asumun HaDomna Torah and the next day permits us to eat the produce that took root before Tetzayin Nisan. This is Rabotai what Kemah Yashan is. Kemah Yashan is basically any produce of these five grains that took root in the ground before the second day of Pesach and if it took root afterwards it becomes Kemah Hadash or people know as Hadash. This is the background from the Torah. The question is now, the application of this halakha, and a lot of people are wondering, one second, if it's in the Torah, you know, I know pig is asur, I know horse meat is asur, I know if you have a kosher animal and it wasn't slaughtered properly, it's asur. So how come I never knew about this? Is this something that only pertains to Eretz Israel or even outside of Eretz Israel? So you should know, in Eretz Israel, everybody agrees that the produce that is hadash is asur. Nobody denies it. Nobody disagrees. Everybody agrees that's Asur. And about 90% of poskim hold that's Asum na Torah. The question is, outside of Eretz Israel, away from Eretz Israel, the people for the Jews, outside of Eretz Israel, what is the deen? Do we say that this halakha is only something that applies in Eretz Israel or even to the produce outside of Eretz Israel? Guess what? There's a mahlokit in the Gemara. There's a mahlokit as far back as the Mishnayot. The Mahloket depends on how you explain the Pasuk that we quoted above that says the words Moshbotechim. Moshbotechim means your dwellings. There are two ways to explain this way, this Pasuk and that's the two opinions in the Mishnah as well as the Gemara. One way to explain it is the Torah is commanding you that this Isur of Kemah Hadash is applicable wherever you live. So if you live in Israel, it's Asur. If you live in China, it's also Asur. If you live in America, wherever you live, as long as you're a Jew, it's Asur. The other way to explain, the Torah is commanding us a time. After you settled in Eretz Israel, because means Yeshiva, which is Yeshuv, after you settled in Eretz Israel, which means after the 14 years where the Jews went to war with the non-Jewish nations in Eretz Israel, and they actually settled down, and they divided the land, after that, then becomes a but only in Israel. Outside of Israel, it's mutar. Those are the two opinions that we find in the Mishnah. Question is, how are we going to rule the halakha? So, let me read you the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, one Mishnah says that it's a mahlokit. There's a mahlokit between the Tanakhama and Rabbi Eliezer. 
According to Tanakama, Hadash doesn't apply in Hutza Aretz. According to Rabbi Ezer, even Hutza Aretz, Hadash is applicable. There's a second Mishnah that says, Hadash Asur min HaTorah bechol makom. And over there, it doesn't bring a mahloket. Over there, it says clearly that this Hadash, Kema Hadash, is forbidden from the Torah everywhere. That means according to this second Mishnah, Hadash, one who eats Kema Hadash, is no different from eating pig. We all know pig is Asur. Hadash is also Asur. Both of them, as Rabbam says, one who eats pig will get malkut. A person who eats hadash also gets malkut. In fact, according to halakha, hadash may be even more strict than non-kosher meat. Why? Because if non-kosher meat accidentally gets mixed with other foods, so we come to the rules of bitul. What does it mean bitul? It can be nullified if it's batel berov or you need bitul beshishim. However, hadash, if it gets mixed up with will be asur even if it's batil. Even though I have majority or 60 times the amount of kosher, of, of uh, and I have a little bit of hadas mixed in it, the whole thing becomes asur. You know why? Because it's dabash yeshlo matirin. What does it mean dabash yeshlo matirin? Dabash yeshlo matirin means that if something is forbidden and it got mixed in a mixture, even we always look for to see if the what is permitted in the mixture outnumbers what's forbidden. In a case where it's permitted, where, where, where the permitted ingredient outnumbers the forbidden ingredient, usually we say it's mutar. However, the Bashashabati means that eventually even that which is forbidden will become mutar. Even that which is forbidden will eventually become mutar. So in that case, Hakamim said, even though it's really batil and really technically had it been other foods, you could have you could have eaten it. Still, don't eat it now. Wait till after the time when it becomes mutar and eat the whole mixture together. So being that kema hadas is really the bashesh matirin, it becomes a bit more hamu than non kosher meat. Non kosher meat, if it got mixed up in other foods, bediabad, and you have bitul, it's batil, you can eat it. Hadas, if it got mixed up with other foods, it's dabash yeshlo matirin, you have to wait until the next year when it's Nisan, when it's Pesach, to be able to eat it. What the question is now, what, are, what is the halakha? What does the halakha say? The Beit Yosef brings that the three Rishonim, the three major Rishonim, the Reef, the Rambam, and the Rosh, all of them hold that Kemah Hadash, the new produce which grows or takes root after Pesach, is Asur Middeoraita, it's Asur from the Torah, it's Asur everywhere, it's Asur in, in Eris Israel, it's Asur outside of Israel, it's Asur in China, it's Asur in America, everywhere it's Asur. That's what the Beit Yosef quotes, three Rishonim. However, the Bi'ur Halakha brings a list of nine Rishonim. Nine Rishonim means nine rabbis that lived from the times before the Shuhan Aruch. They all ruled that Kema Hadash is Asur Min Torah. However, there are other opinions, there are other Rishonim. The Pene Yoshua brings Rabbeinu Baruch, the Ozaruwa and the Bahag. These are three Rishonim that hold that Kema Hadash is only Asur and being that's only so that's in Eres Israel. so therefore only the countries that are close to Eres Israel 
they're the ones who have a problem with Dirabanan. But the countries are far away from Israel, they don't have the problem of Hadash. So therefore, if you lived in Europe, or if you live in Europe, or you live in America, or if you live in China, according to these three Rishonin, Rabbeinu Baruch, or Zerua, and Bahag, they hold that it's mutar. However, the Rosh comments on Rabbeinu Baruch, and he says, Debarav temuhin. All the words of Rabbeinu Baruch are very strange. All the proofs that he brought have no substance to them. I don't know what he means, that says the Rosh, and you cannot follow Rabbeinu Baruch. That's what the Rosh says. Okay, so it's a mahloket rishonim. At best, it's a mahloket rishonim. You have nine major rishonim that holds asumin ha-Torah, and a few rishonim that hold, it's only asumin derbanan, and outside of Israel, it's not, you know, far away from Israel, it's not even asur at all. What's this? Saka lachan shohan aruch. Maran writes in two places, here in the Hilchot of the Sfirat HaOmer, Siman Taf Petet in Ora Hayim, the last halakha, and in Yoredi Asman, Reza Digimol, Maran writes, the following, It's a sur to eat any of the new produce, even nowadays, no matter what it is. Until the beginning of the 18th of Nisan, which we know is the first night of Hon Mu'ad, and Israel until the first night of Hon Mu'ad, which is on the 17th of Nisan. He adds in Resa de Gimel, this Isur applies in Israel as well as outside of Israel. Whether the produce belongs to a Jew or belongs to a Goy. Don't think that, oh, you know, it's, it's a non-Jewish produce. What do you want from him? He, he doesn't have to keep the Torah. So I'm buying from him. No, it doesn't go by the owner. It goes by the plant. Where was it planted? Was it plant? When was it planted? Was it planted before? Or did it take root before Tedzain Nisan? Or did it take root afterwards? That's the Ikar. If it took root afterwards, it becomes Hadash. And according to Shohan Aruch, it is Asur Middeoraita. Like we said, equivalent to eating non kosher meat. The Ramah in Yodea, however, brings that in general, if you don't know about the produce that you have in front of you, and you know that came to you obviously after Pesach. You don't know now if it's from the new crop or for the last year's crop. He says it's mutar because of a suffix feka, which we'll discuss later on. However, that's only if you don't know. If you do know that the produce that you have at hand, the majority at least of the produce came from the new stuff, even though there's possibility that also maybe some of the things that you have may have been planted from way before Pesach, since the majority comes from produce that has taken root after Pesach, which we know as Hadash, then he says, Yesh lahmir, then you have to be stringent and to be hoshish. That's Ramah here in the Siman Resa de Gimel, that's his ruling. But Kota Maran, he says straight out, So it comes out really now that this Isur of Kemah Hadash is not a minhag, it's not a custom. For the Sfaradim, it's halakha lemas, it's asur. For the Ashkenazim, the Ramah writes, okay, you have to have sfik sfikah. Right? It's if, if you're not sure when it was planted, and even if it was planted before, and maybe it's this year's produce, last year's produce, it's a big question exactly how the sfik sfikah works, but that's the Ramah. So it's a very, very big thing. If it's so asur, how come people don't talk about it? How come people don't keep it? 
How can people feel that Kemah Yashan is only a Humrah? So because of that, you look in the Sfarim, in the Poskim, you find that it's very, very strange when it comes to Kemah Hadash. All the Poskim, when they discuss it, they bring Heterim, but the Heterim, the leniencies that they bring, are very, very, very weak. You see that the approach to the, the poskin themselves when they begin to discuss it and they want to bring some leniencies, they themselves don't feel like they can, you know, like, like they're telling you Lechatela. 95% of the poskim don't say that this is Lechatela, with the exception of the Baha. Everybody else, whole, they, you see the Lashon, you have to always look in the Halakha, not only what the poskim say, but how they say it. You know, they're not writing you Mutar Asur. There's books and books and books that are discussing every psaq halakha that they give. You see the approach to this halakha by the poskim, even those who are lenient, of course. Like we just saw, many poskim are not lenient. Even those who are lenient, it's always, it always sounds like they're trying to dig up themselves out of a hole. Most of the time they're saying, lelamed zechut. I mean, people are doing this anyway, and we're going to try to somehow figure out a way that it could be mutar according to them. Why? Because it's very, very necessary. I want to read you, Two poskim that are known by anybody who learns halakha, and what they write about the leniencies of Ba'at Kema Hadash. First, the Kafa Hayim, here's the man Taf Petet Kufir Alif, he writes, Hayetesh al Hadash Bizban Hazebahutza Aritz, hu Poreah Vaavir. The leniency of allowing Kema Hadash in our days outside of Eris Israel is something that's up in the air, which means it has no real foundation. Majority of the poskim hold, the majority of the shonim hold, that's forbidden with the oraita, even outside of Israel. And the Aharonim squeeze themselves very, very, very much to try to find some sort of zechut, some sort of leniency to try to allow the people who are not careful with Hadash. That's what the Kafahim writes. The Beit Lel, which one of the commentaries found on the side of the Shohan Aruch in Yorei De'ah, he writes, Heter hadas b'zban hazek barrabu pirushim shonim ve'gonim she'hipsu batku b'sheba hakirot b'dikot ve'lo'alta b'yadam heter gamur barur. To be lenient, to allow a person to eat hadash, many, many people tried, many ge'onim, geniuses in the, the post scheme, tried to find some sort of heter, and nobody really found a clear heter that they themselves are convinced by. But yet, we find some leniencies. The first one that we do find some leniencies, we're going to bring you over here a few leniencies, and the issues with each leniency. Let's begin with the Ramah. The Ramah writes that from the new crop, no, but the Ramah, by the way, never says that Hadash is mutar. The Ramah just says, if you don't know from the five grains, let's say you bought flour. You're not sure if it's Kemah Yashan, it's not Kemah Yashan. So the Ramah says, if you know that the majority of the produce is from last year's stuff, it's probably Yashan, then, okay, you don't have to ask, you're fine, you could be you could be so you could say suffix Fika. I can't go into the details now with suffix Fika. But Rav Akiva Eger already has a question that this suffix Fika doesn't follow the rules of suffix Fika. It's really one suffix, not really two. Also, the Ramah himself writes... That even though, um, that even though really a person should be mahmir, if people will not listen to him, don't say anything because mutab shiyu shogim mezidin. Like we explained beforehand, mutab shiyu shogim means they're really doing an avira. But if you publicize it and they're not going to listen to you, so they can do it on purpose, which means according to the matzuli, a problem. 
Also, the Ramaz heter of Sveik Sveika, even if you want to hold that's a valid Sveik Sveika, as Aruch Shulhan and others try to explain, still, it doesn't work if you do know that the produce in front of you is hadash. If you know for sure that what I have in front of me is really from this year's crop, you can't eat it according to, even according to the Ashkenazim. And finally, this whole letter of the Ramah is really only according to the Ashkenazim, if they want to be relying on, on it. But according to the Sfaradim, we have to follow the ruling of Shohan Aruch who holds that's Asuhim in HaTorah. That's one heter and the issues with it. The second heter that's very famous is the heter of the Bah. The Bah comes out with a major, major Hadush and he says that he argues, of course, on Shohan Aruch, he argues also on Tosafot and he writes that Hadash does not apply if the owner of the produce is a Goy. If the owner of the world is a goy, it does not apply. It's a major hadush by the bah. It's arguing on almost all the Yishonim, for sure it's arguing on Shohan Aruch. And not only that, all the Ahronim disagreed with the bah. Bah remains a da'at yahid. Nobody agreed with the bah. I'll listen to the words of the Gra. The Gra writes in Yore Ugbar Hiku al Kodo Kol Ahronim. All the Ahronim hit the bah on his head, which means to say they all knocked him out, which and says the gra, we can't say this, but the gra writes, there was a mistake. The bah made a mistake in his psak halakha. His own son-in-law, the taz, goes and refutes every, the proofs that he brings. And some hasidim are lenient when it comes to hadas, because they hold of, they say because the Baal Shem Tov, the Baal Shem Tov didn't keep uh, this halakhot. Why? Because Baal Shem Tov relied on the bah. I want to bring you I have in my house, Baal Shem Tov ala Torah, in Parashat Emor, they bring over there, this whole source of the Baal Shem Tov being lenient. It says over there, the Baal Shem Tov asked, Ishilat Halom, which means he asked the question, which was he was answered to in this dream. He asked, what is the deen with Hadash Bizman Hazay? In his days, in the 1700s, he wanted to know, what should, be the psak, what should we rule when it comes to Hadash? So I'm going to read you word for word what it says. It says, they answered him in his dream. After the passing of the Bah in Shamaim, they cooled off Gehinam for 40 days. Why? Because they needed to do this in honor of the Bah. Now, this over here that continues over there after he woke up, the Ba'ashimtov woke up, what does he say? He asked people, do me a favor, go and bring me Shekha, go and give me some alcohol from the Goyim, even though it's Hadash. And he he says the following words, I see from my dream that since they cooled off Gehinam for 40 days, it must be that the Ba'ash is somebody that's so important in Shamayim. They cooled off all of Gehinam in honor of the Ba'ash. Then you know what? I'm going to be, it's, he's, he's a good enough opinion that I should rely on him. What does that mean? So it means that Ba'ah has a big posek, I can rely on him. I have three issues over here. First of all, we have a rule, Lo here. As great as the Ba'ah was, at the end of the day, it doesn't take him away from being a Da'at Yahid, according to Halakha. We find in the Gemara that, the, that, the, that there was a bad call, a heavenly voice came out and said, this rabbi is correct, leave him alone. And still the Bangam gets up and says, we don't rule halakha this way. We decide the halakha over here. We always have mahloka between poskim. And even if Shemaim, they tell us, this rabbi is so great. At the end of the day, we have to follow our rules. And not only that, when we have a da'at yahid, it's usually dismissed. 
Number two is, from the words of the Baal Shem Tov, even from Baal Shem Tov, it sounds like it's a problem, because what do you say? Kedai habah shematir kedel smoch alav. If you need to rely on somebody, the Baal is good enough to rely on him, which sounds like he's not so glad with it. The third, which was most people do not know, and I have it in this book, it says over there in Midrash, he quotes from a book called Midrash Berhas, which is one of the Hasidic for him. He says, I'm going to read you word for word what it says over there. Ba'ashem Tov haya mekel behadash. Ba'ashem Tov used to be very lenient in the Isur of Hadash. Upam nasa am Rabbi Hiel, Rabbi Horadna. And one time he traveled with this rabbi known Rabbi Hiel when he became an official rabbi in Horadna. He saw that Rabbi Hiel was also stringent. So therefore, the Ba'ashem Tov decided that he also wants to begin to be stringent as well. So you see, it sounds like the Ba'ashem Tov himself was Hosea. He already said, I'm going to become Mahmir again, and I'm going to keep already Kemah Yashan. In any case, that is the opinion of the Ba'ah. We have still a lot more to speak on the subject, but I'm already overdue on time. We're going to take a break here. Next week, we'll continue with this important subject of Kemah Yashan and Kemah Hadash. Make sure you join us next week on Wednesday and the extra time we'll dedicate it also to speak about Lagba Omer. We uh, want to give you the numbers. If anybody has questions, you could call into the station right now. The number is 718-683-5858. And if you'd like to text in, 347-927-8398. Again, this class is dedicated to Iran and the whole J Radio staff and Nisim, of course. And we want to tell them a thank you. On behalf of all the Jewish people, we want to tell them a thank you for the Abadat Kodesh. This class will be aired on again tonight on Wednesday at 11 p.m. Till next week, Rabotai, have a wonderful week. Shabbat Tov. And don't forget, Pesach Sheni is on Sunday.